How many of you think that we have some dumb laws in our world? Yes, we do. Uh, I, I want to read to you some that these at one time were on the books, or they still are on the books. In New Orleans, according to the fire code, at least at one time, it was prohibited to cuss a fireman while he is engaging in his official duties. What kind of a goofball cusses someone with a powerful hose and an axe in his hand anyway, correct? Fighting a fire. In Washington State, there was a law that said this, if a motorist entered a city with criminal intentions, he must stop at the city limits and telephone the chief of police as he is entering the town. Hey, hey, chief, I'm fixing to go knock off the Walmart. Just wanted to be legal about it. In Eureka, Nevada, it, it was illegal for a man with a mustache to kiss a woman. I don't want to kiss a woman with a mustache. I don't know if that's illegal or not. But uh, in Idaho at one time, it was actually illegal for a man to give a woman over 50 pounds of candy at one given time. Keep those Idaho women trim and fit, I guess. I preached in Idaho years ago, and uh, I, while I was up there, I met several pastors, and one of them told me this. He said, Idaho is the place where men look like bears and women look like men. Think about that. Now, I didn't say that. I didn't, there's very a lot of pretty women from Idaho, but he did. And one last one just for our, uh, uh, our trivia. In New Jersey, uh, it is illegal for a person to wear a bulletproof vest uh, during the, uh, uh, as they're doing a homicide. So you're going to kill somebody, don't wear the bulletproof vest, or you're going to get some extra time on that life sentence. Think about the silliness of that. Isn't that crazy? We're going to be in Galatians 3 again tonight. We're going to go back to verse 1. We were in Galatians 26 through 29 this morning. We're going to go back to verse 1, and we're going to look at the Old Testament laws. Now, if you don't believe me, go home tonight and read in Leviticus as long as you can without stopping, and you will see the Old Testament laws can be burdensome, can't they? And they can be a little confusing. There is so many of them. In fact, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. Did you, did you get that? 613. Uh, the rabbi said there's 365 negative and 248 positive. Now, here's something that's really weird. On top of the Old Testament laws, we would think of Genesis through Deuteronomy primarily, those first five books. They also had what they called the oral traditions, which was basically the interpretations of the Old Testament law, which they created as law, and they put that in a book called the Talmud. So the average Jewish person had lots of things they were to keep up with. It was burdensome. So I want us to look at what, what God through Paul says about the law that I think will help us this evening. Number one, people, we've always been saved by faith, and we are to continue by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we are saved by faith in Christ and we continue by faith in Christ. In verse 1 and 2, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? He's telling this. You received the Holy Spirit. You were saved by faith in Christ, correct? 
Now, I want to touch on this in a moment. I used to think growing up in the Old Testament they were saved by obeying the law and the New Testament's by faith. No, you've always been saved by faith. Verse 3 and 4, it says this, Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit by faith in Christ? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Now, probably what he's talking about is that when these Jewish people became Christians, man, they were persecuted by the the Judaizers, by other Jews who said they were abandoning their faith and their traditions and their families. And and then in verse 5 through 9, he says, Does God give you his spirit? And this is important. And work miracles among you because you observe the law, because you do this, this, and that, or because you believe what you've heard by faith. Consider Abraham. Abraham, 430 years before the law, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then, those who believe are children of Abraham. Verse 8, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, by faith. And he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What was going on is a lot of these people, many of them have been Jewish people. They had lived their life trying to obey all the laws of the Old Testament and then all the traditional laws that had been on top of that. And it was burdensome and it was heavy, but it was religious and you felt like you were doing something and you could, you could measure how obedient you were being or how obedient you were not being. And then they were saved by faith in Christ. And, and then the message was coming back. These Judaizers, remember we've talked about them the last several weeks, some of them were lost people. Some of them were saved Jewish people who were saying, though, look, you, you, maybe you're saved by faith, but you've got to go back and you've got to do all the law to oh, please God as a Christian, legalistically, meticulously. Some of them were even saying to be saved. You get, it's salvation by grace through faith plus circumcision plus Judaism equals salvation. And he's telling them, listen, you're saved by faith in Christ. Law had a purpose. We're going to look at that in a moment. But you were saved by faith, and you continue by faith. Now, listen, this is very important. Again, the law is important. Understanding the, especially the ethical and moral, moral part of the law is important. But your walk with Christ is about a relationship with a living Savior, not about legalistically obeying the law. In verse 3, to jump back to that again, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort, attain your goal to be complete and mature and accomplish what God has wanted you to do? Again, religion says we follow these rules and we're good. Christianity says you, you have a relationship with a living Savior that makes you good. Big difference. Again, it doesn't negate the laws. We don't throw out the moral and ethical laws. And I don't know about you, but legalism kind of makes me comfortable because I know what to do. It, it defines things, doesn't it? Now, I'm not saying this is a good quality in me, but, but for a lot of us, if, if we know, boom, 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 and, and then if I do this, God's going to be happy, and if I don't do this, God's not going to be happy, that makes it easier And certainly, again, there are boundaries. Like I said, we'll see in a moment. But Christianity is first and foremost, again, it's not about simply obeying one, two, three, and four. It's about a living relationship with a living Lord is what he's trying to tell us. 
Colossians 2.6 is a wonderful verse in a thousand ways. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, how would you receive him as Lord? By what? By faith. Read that last part with me. Just as you were saved by faith, trust, commitment in Christ, that's what you, you continue to live in Jesus Christ by that. Someone said that faith, faith operates in the realm of the impossible. The law gives us human possibilities and definitions. To, to live by faith is to live in the realm of the power of God, not in the power of what I can do or not can do. Very important. Listen, as a Christian this evening... You entered the Christian life by faith, by entering into a relationship with Jesus, and that's how we continue. That ought to excite us. Christianity is a warm thing. It's not a dull, hard, stone thing. Now, here's the second thing about the law. The law itself leads to death. Now, think about this. 2,000 years ago, when God spoke this through Paul, don't you know, oh, Man, they hated him because the Jewish people not only loved the law, they, they said that God gave the law to Moses, a Jewish man, and, and it came first to the Jewish people, so they felt ownership of the law. And, and not only that, but they, they almost idolized the, wa- the law. It was almost the temple and the law were almost something they worshipped in and of themselves. Look in verse 10, a very significant verse. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, curse. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Did you get that? How well can you keep 613 laws? Let me tell you, not too good. And when when Cindy and I were in Israel... The pomegranate, I don't know if it's the national fruit of Israel, but it's been an important part of their history. There, leave that there for just a second, Brian and Lindsay. Uh, in fact, on the, the ephod that the Old Testament priests wore, there were pomegranates. I mean, it was a significant part. It's been significant fruit in Jewish history for years. And, Cindy, do you remember one of our guides told us that there, there's 613 uh, seeds in the pomegranate now? I think he saw we didn't believe him, so he said, count them for yourself. And everyone said, we'll take your word for it. But part of the significance, what was the significance of 613? There were 613 laws. 613 laws. So, again, you're thinking about this with me. And he just said that if you cannot obey every one of the laws, you are cursed. This comes from Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. Then all the people should say, Amen. Here's what God told these people. He said, if you want to be saved by obeying the law, you better memorize them all and you can never fail at one of them. Because if you fail one time, you're going to hell. The faith grace thing is looking a lot better now, isn't it? (laughs) You see, most of us, we do the Bible, even as New Testament Christians, much less the Old Testament law, like a buffet, don't we? We pick and choose, don't we? Am I telling the truth? Uh, we, we pick and choose what we like. It's more like a buffet. Listen, the law wasn't a buffet. The New Testament uh, writings aren't a buffet for us to pick and choose. And, and God said this. God said, if you and I are going to be saved by the law, 
We've got to obey every single law all of the time. And nobody can do that. There's only one person who ever did that. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Do, do y'all remember the Da Vinci Code? Do you remember that book and that movie that came out? I think it was 2006. And it created a stir for two reasons. One, it said some bizarre things about Jesus. But it also, it's, he said it, it's fiction, but he claimed it was historical fiction. You know what that means? It means this is, this is strange, that it's not true, but it's based on the truth. <laughs> and so, so, and then he, in this, this Da Vinci Code, he talks about Jesus being married. Now, I want to tell you, uh, as being a little bit of a Bible scholar, I want to tell you, if Jesus would have been married, it wouldn't have been missed by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Amen. You know, that's something you don't miss. Mrs. Jesus would have been included in something at some point. And, and by the way, it's not sinful to be married either. So if Jesus would have been married, that would not have made him not God. We don't believe he was married because the Bible doesn't say he was married. Correct? I had one smart aleck man tell me. It was somebody in this church, and I won't tell you who it was. I don't really remember it. It may have been Glenn Carter. Glenn Carter said, Chris, there's no way, or Kenny Brister, no way that Jesus could have been married. And I said, well, I agree, but why are you so dogmatic? And he said, because Jesus never sinned and no man can be married and never sin. <laughs> I'm sure it was Kenny Mary, the way you're looking at me. Okay, so here's the purpose. He's saying this about the law. He's saying, if you want to be saved by the law, you got to be perfect. I mean, every time you get to bat, it's got to be a home run. By the way, you cannot do that. Verse 11 through 14. Clearly, no one is justified, made right before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. See, here's the bottom line. You and I failed at keeping the law. And when you fail by keeping the law, you come under a curse. What that means is, is that you are headed to hell and you're going to receive the, the full penalty of your sin. That's what it meant to be under the curse. But here, here's the cool part. It says, Jesus became the curse for us. Now, in Deuteronomy 21, Deuteronomy 21, 23, it says, You must not leave his body, this to my anybody's, on a tree overnight. Be sure to bury him the same day because anyone who's hung on a tree is under God's curse. The, the word tree there literally means wood. And so it could be a gallow, it could be a tree, it could be a cross. So when Jesus died on the what? the wooden cross for you and me, he took that curse that was on you and me because we can't fulfill the law. He took it on himself. Isn't that great? See, the law in and of itself was going to lead to death because you cannot fulfill the law. And Jesus knew that. God knew that. So he said, I'm going to send Jesus who will pay the ransom. That literally means to buy back a kidnapped victim. He was going to redeem us. It means that he paid the price to buy us back from sin and the, the hold it had on us. Jesus became the curse for us. You see, the law has a purpose, and we're going to see two of them in just a moment. But one thing's for sure, it can never save anybody. The Old Testament, no one was saved by the law. They were saved by faith in God. We have a much fuller revelation. We're saved by faith in 
the death and resurrection of Christ that we understand and know now. But no, you never could be saved by the law. Now, here's the third thing. The law has, it's had and does have, past tense, present tense, a wonderful purpose. You go, my goodness, these laws, and it's overwhelming, and I've just been so negative about them tonight. I've been trying just to read from the Bible. But it, it is. It, it's tough when you look at the laws. What is the purpose of the law? I'm going to give you two big purposes tonight. Number one, it shows us right and wrong. Shows us right and wrong. Shows us sin and good behavior. In verse 19 and 20, we're going to skip over 15 through 18. In verse 19 through 20, what then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgression, sins, until the seed, Jesus, to whom the promise referred, had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. God gave the law to the angels who gave it to Moses, who gave it to the Jewish people. Now, verse 20, it kind of jumps ahead. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party. The mediator was Moses representing God and the people, but God is one. God, when he made the promise, he did it himself. He didn't need a mediator. He did it through Christ. But let's go back to this, the law showing us right and wrong. In Romans 7, verse 7 in Romans is, is a, Romans and Galatians are kind of twin books, and, and Romans is really, obviously, it's 16 chapters, so it's a much fuller version of this, but they're, they're really, they're, they're, they're twins. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I, I, now look at this with me. I would not have known what sin was except through the law, Correct? And listen what he says, how would I have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet? So the, the, the law was given because people were sinful, and the law was given to show us sin. When I was in, in my doctor's degree study, I had a wonderful professor in a biblical interpretation class. His name was Dr. Al Bean, and Dr. Bean was a, a Ph.D. in Old Testament. He was a very scholarly, very godly man, and I asked him one day, Ask him, I said, Dr. Bean, why in the world is the Old Testament so meticulous, so detailed? Don't do this, don't do that, do this, do this. And here's what he said. He said, well, I believe the people were so bad. <laughs> he said, I, people were so wild and they were so crazy, you had to spell everything out with a big crayon real big. Don't be mean to your mother. Don't be mean to your aunt. It doesn't say anything about my niece. Don't be mean to your niece. It, it, he, he believed that it had to be so detailed and so elaborate, partially because people were so bad. And, and I think that's, that's exactly right. Now, this is important too, though. The law, the law doesn't make you a sinner. Correct? The law just reveals that you're a sinner. In one of my churches, I had a man, he was a good man, he used to invite people to church oftentimes, and he told me one day, he said, I'm never going to invite anybody again. Okay, I guess you didn't like what I preached this morning. I said, why? And he said, well, I invite people to church, they tell me they're going to come, and then they don't come, and I'm making them a liar. And I said, you're not making them a liar, they're a liar. You know, if that's their consistent behavior, because you invite someone to church and they say, I'm coming, and they don't, you haven't made them a liar. Their behavior reveals who they are. The law doesn't make us a sinner. It shows us that we are sin. It reveals to us what sin is. It draws out the boundaries 
of what is right and wrong. Now, here's an interesting twist to the law. Satan got in the act. I had a wonderful lady, Miss Ruth, Cindy. Miss Ruth was a sweet lady in my second church, and Miss Ruth was always real positive, and she said one evening, the devil sure is a good devil. Think about that. She didn't mean good like sweet, nice, and... and, uh, trustworthy she just meant he is very good at what he does let's read Romans 7 and then 7 and 8 this time what what shall we then say then is the law sin certainly not indeed I would not have known what sin was except through the law for I would have not known what coveting coveting was if if the law had said do not covet now look in verse 8 but sin the devil seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire from a, for apart from the law sin is dead now did you understand what he's saying there it's a little bit wordy but what he's saying is is i didn't i would not have known that do not lie is a sin until i read do not lie but then here's what the devil does the devil comes in and says Okay, it says not to covet. Ooh, doesn't that guy's boat look good? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, that, doesn't that man's wife look good? Doesn't that opportunity uh, to, you could probably take that and no one would ever get it. The devil comes in, he is so good, and he uses the law to try to entice us to sin. It's the most bizarre thing, but it's absolutely true. In Galveston, Texas, years ago, they built a beautiful hotel out over the water, literally out into the bay. And they realized they were going to have a problem because a lot of the hotels with the windows open were into the bay. So they said, people are going to be fishing. This is Texas. They're going to be fishing out of those windows. So they put do not fish signs all over the hotel. You know what people were doing? They were fishing out of those windows all the time. Getting their, you know, the guy on the 10th floor and the guy on the second floor, they're getting their lines all tangled up. People are in the restaurant that overlooks the bay are eating, and here comes this fish flopping against the, uh, the, re- the, 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 the glass. Wouldn't that be, you know, you're eating this fish and all all of a sudden you see this bloody fish with a hook in it comes reeled up and so here's what they did they took down the do not fishing signs and do not fish and they had no more problem isn't that bizarre i had a little uh, i had a cousin he was older than me actually but when he was young he's real rebellious and and so his mama was trying to get him to take medicine one day and he wouldn't do it he wouldn't do it so she put it on the table and she said you do not take that left the room came back two minutes later and the pill was gone because there's a natural sinfulness in us that goes against the law, doesn't it? The law is good. It shows us right and wrong, but even the devil jumps in and tries to mess it up. But let me tell you the ultimate purpose of the law. It's trying to point us to Christ. It's trying to point us to Christ. That, that's what the law was for in the beginning. That's what it's for today. Most of us in here know we're bad. We know we have a problem. There was a Sunday school class years ago at a church that they did, they did very unwisely. They put a, a group of uh, sixth graders right next to a group of senior adults. I don't know who ever thought of that, but that was not wise, was it? And one time, apparently, the teacher had left, and the kids were going crazy. Finally, this lady said, I've had enough. She goes, and then she said, what in the world is y'all's problem? And, and a girl stood up and confessed. She said, we're just bad, but we don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, we don't know how to fix it. See, the law, the law is good to a point. It shows us we're bad, doesn't it? But it doesn't fix the problem. Verse 21 through 25 fixes the problem. 
Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if law had been given that could impart life, righteousness would not have come by the law. Would not righteousness have come? But the scripture declares the whole world is a prisoner of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. Verse 24, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. I want us to look at, leave that there for just a second. You see the, the word supervision, and if we go back to verse, can we go back to verse 24? Verse 24, when it said that little phrase, put in charge of, so the law was, was put in charge. That, that phrase in the word supervision in verse 25 is one Greek word, and it's where we get our English word pedagogue from, and this is very important. A Greek pedagogue in a well-to-do family, a pedagogue was a slave. It was not a, uh, what we might think of a slave back in America's history. It was a house servant who was probably educated uh, and, and, uh, and, and intelligent and cultured. And their job, listen, in this house was to help raise the boys. And, and from the age of 6 to 16, the pedagogue supervised the boy around the house. Every day the pedagogue took the, took the boy to, to school, was not the teacher, but took them to school, made sure they were okay in school, and then got them home. And then when they were 16, their job was done. The pedagogue's job was to supervise the child until it became a man. Here's what Paul's saying. The law is not an end in of itself. The law's job was to be a pedagogue. Now, this had to make the Jews mad too. He's saying the law is not an end in of itself. The law's job was to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he was telling them. That's what he's telling us. In other words, the law's whole purpose from the get-go was to show us we're sinners, to show us we had a need, and for God to use that and to use the Holy Spirit to convict us and to get us to place our faith in Jesus Christ. That's good stuff. So I'll ask you this evening, have you placed your faith in Christ? Have you let... Have you let the law and the Holy Spirit convict you and bring you to a point of salvation? If you haven't, in a moment when we stand, I want to challenge you to come tonight and give your life to Christ. You're looking for a church home. We'd love for you to join our church. Tonight's as good as any. And if you're a Christian tonight, maybe, maybe where you're standing or at the altar, it'd be a good time to renew your relationship with Christ. Yes, the moral and ethical boundaries of the Old Testament and the New Testament certainly apply to us today, but it's lived out through our faith relationship with Christ. Maybe you and I have stopped walking in that way, and it's a good night to start walking that way again. Let's stand. As God leads you, respond to him this evening.